We are so glad you joined us for this week's message from Radiance in Macomb, Mississippi. We hope that you are encouraged and challenged in your relationship with Jesus. Be blessed as you listen to this week's message. And so I lead into uh, this week, which is always another um, another specific topic that people really like to hear about, which is heaven. Uh, but I'm just going to go ahead and kind of put a disclaimer on the front end. The title of this message is actually, This is Not What You Think. It's not what you think it is, because um, there's not a single term in Scripture that, that calls heaven a place. Every time you see the word heaven in the Old Testament and the New Testament, it's not a place. Well, But Michael, God created the heavens and the earth, you're right. But it's not what you think it is. And I want to I want to look at that from a, a different perspective today. Uh, but I'm going to refer back um, to a message that we did on this topic last summer um, because it was requested last summer. And so I want to show you the three points that I made from that message so you kind of understand. I'm not going to spend a lot of time on it, but I want to give them to you so you can go back and you can look at it for yourself. Because the third one is what we're going to focus on today uh, as we talk about, think about, and as we prayerfully consider what the Bible says about heaven. And so th- these are the three things that we, that we learned last year about heaven. The number one thing is, is that heaven is created. We have an idea and we have a, a culture in the church that believes that, that heaven is God's dwelling place. And it's always been, but the reality is it has not always been. Because Genesis 1-1 opens the entirety of creation. And it says that God created the heavens and the earth. Now we usually just take the word heavens and make it about the skies and the atmosphere and that's not what it is. It's the literal place of God's presence dwelling the heavens. So He created Himself a place, created the atmosphere between, and then created the earth as well. So all of it's created. The heaven that you and I know right now where some of our dearest loved ones are is not an eternal place. It's temporary. Jesus actually said in Matthew 24, He said concerning heaven, it's going to pass away. All of heaven and all of earth is going to pass away. You go to Revelation 21 and it tells us that then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. So it's not eternal, it's temporary. The heaven that we know today. And then the third thing is is that heaven is relational. and We, we talked about that in detail uh, in our last series, but I also want to talk about that specific area today because personally, um, my belief wholeheartedly is is that we have to stop thinking about a destination and continually focus on a relationship because we've we've got into a culture where we're always looking for the next next best thing. We we want to go to that greater place. Uh, there was a book written, uh, it was actually a novel called The Five People You Meet in Heaven. And, and in the novel it portrays a man who uh, lived a life that he just felt like he was lonely and he was uh, uh, unimportant. I mean, I, I, a lot of us can probably, if we were being honest, we probably relate with that. That's why it's a best-selling novel. It, but it, it kind of chronicles what happens when he dies. And it, it, it tells about him dying and he goes to heaven and it says that he meets five people who tell him that his life really mattered. And that sounds really good, but there's not a single shred of anything to do with God. And the reality of heaven is, is that there is no heaven if there is no God. 
So what we've even learned in the church is is that, well, we'll be reuniting with our loved ones. Or you see movies that are created for kids where dogs are flying around with wings and halos. And it's big, white, fluffy clouds. And we've all heard about the pearly gates and St. Peter standing there waiting for us. And all that stuff could be a reality. But it doesn't matter because it's not the importance of heaven. Because when we boil it down to what the scriptures actually teach about heaven, the Bible depicts heaven with two words. That's it. You go to the Old Testament, there is a single word for heaven and it's used exclusively throughout. You go to the New Testament where there are 284 references to heaven. It's one term and none of it means a place. It's always, always, always talking about heights or high places. It's why when you see the name of God being said as Yahweh, that is Lord Most High. Heaven is a derivative of that. You can't have that heaven term without the Lord Most High. And so when we say that heaven is something that we look forward to, heaven is not something we should look forward to. It's a relationship that we should already be entering into. And so when I say heaven is relational, the Old Testament is clear that if we're not focused on God Most High, Jehovah, then there is no Most High place. In the New Testament, if we, if we miss it, the term just simply means raised up everywhere. It doesn't say anything about a place, it just means elevation. It's higher. So it could be sky, it could be anything if you use it in our vernacular and the way that we talk and we depict things. And so I want to jump in in Philippians chapter 3. Uh, this is a different translation than probably what you're used to. If you have a New International Version, I generally use the English Standard Version. It says, our citizenship is in heaven, is what most translations say. But this is a literal translation that says, our citizenship exists in the heavens. If you go back and you translate it directly from what we know as the original New Testament, the translation is not our citizenship is in heaven, so we've got this idea of a different citizenship. It says it exists in the heavens. It, it kind of changes the way that we look at heaven from a perspective of, well, we're just we're waiting to go there. No, it's whence also we are awaiting a Savior. See, what Paul is referencing is, is that the heavens exist and we wait for Jesus to come back not to have a reign in heaven but to have a reign over new heaven and new earth. And so those of us that now have citizenship in this heavens, it, it's not somewhere we go, it's somewhere that we're waiting to come to us. So it changes the way that we experience the idea of what heaven really is. It says the Lord Jesus Christ who will transform our body of humiliation, conform the body of his glory according to the working, enabling him even to subdue all things to himself. So here's, here's the simplest way that I know how to term this. Heaven is literally God's presence in absence of worldly influence. That's heaven. Heaven's not something that we have to experience in a future tense. It's something that we can experience today because heaven is literally God's presence in absence of worldly influence. And see, I started thinking about this because this is tough because we all look forward to that day where there'll be no more pain and there'll be no more shame and there'll be no more suffering. And that's, that day is, we think, going to heaven. 
But what if it's not just going to heaven? What if it's actually living day to day in God's presence? Now, don't hear what I'm not saying. I'm not saying there's not going to be a place that if, God, if Jesus doesn't come back that we actually go because there is a place that we go. But I, I, I'm a, I'll show you in just a few minutes what I, what I literally mean by this because heaven without God's presence is not heaven. You and I without God's presence, we're not God's children. And we've gotten into this idea that we await so much for a day in the future that we forget about today. That we live in this heavenly God-sent presence every single day that we talked about last week in the person of the Holy Spirit. And throughout the New Testament, and we, we know what Jesus said, Jesus said, it's, it's so important, this is like the MIV, the Michael International Version, it's so important that you understand, Jesus told the disciples, it's better that I go away because I'm going to send one that's greater, that's greater and can be closer to you than even I can. And that was the Holy Spirit. And we celebrate today, if you're not familiar with it, today is, if, if you celebrate Easter on the Sunday that we celebrate Easter, it's not the exact dating, today would be the day of Pentecost, when the Holy Spirit came down. And so we're sitting on a day where God's presence was manifest in a physical way for the disciples to go out and make His presence known to the world. And so if it was true that heaven was a place that we go to, all the hymns that we sing, I remember one of my favorites. Y'all remember the, the roll is, when the roll is called up yonder? You remember that one? Come on, somebody remembers that, don't you? When the roll is called up yonder, I'll be there. I, I mean, it's, it, it's a, it, get a little toe tap on that one. Good song. But, but, but if it's the case that heaven is what we're looking forward to, then why does Jesus pray some of the things that he does? In John 17, Jesus says, I have given them your word, and the world has hated them because they are not of this world, just as I am not of this world. I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. So if heaven is the goal, why didn't Jesus just go on and take them? Why at conversion does he not just go on and take us? It's not just specifically for other people's benefit, but it's also for our benefit because we need to understand that there's a different kingdom that God has instituted through Jesus to set up not in heaven but on earth. Where there's an interconnection and intercorrelation between the two where we have access to both because they are eternally inseparable. We're not there yet though. When you go back to the garden, you see the same thing take place. When God created the heavens and the earth, there was no divide. Adam and Eve would have been able to interact with God in any way, shape, form, or fashion that they wanted to had sin not entered the picture. And that would have literally been what we know now as heaven. We would have just stayed in that eternal place forever. But they stupid and they messed up and they made a mistake and they sinned. And we do the same thing. We fight and we battle and we wage war against that. And when Jesus prays something like this, for some of us, we're, we wouldn't understand. But for a lot of us, it's like, why don't you just go ahead and give us this eternity now? And Jesus says, I, I have given you that eternity. You just don't know how to tap into it yet. So instead of focusing on the place, I want to focus on the presence this morning. Instead of focusing on a place to go, we want to, we want to enter into a presence to stay. Because if we can do that, we experience heaven here. That, that's what the goal is, is to get just a taste of what the eternal presence of God can be. And the only way that that comes to earth is if the church takes its place as children of God. And so instead of just talking about what heaven could be like, if that was your hope, I'm busting your bubble this morning. Because heaven is just simply the presence of God. 
in the absence of worldly dissension and desires and the things that, that completely make life toxic in so many ways. And so how in the world can we focus on living in the presence of God as if we're living in heaven? Well, we always have this tension between you know, real legalistic teaching and real liberal teaching where it's all just free and lovely and it's all just rule, 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 rule. And you know, we, we, you got some that say, well, it has nothing to do with you. Well, you've got work you've got to do in this. Like that's the, the labor part of it was not just about laboring for money. It was about labor and toil even in your spiritual walk. You're going to have to fight for every inch of ground that you take spiritually in your own life. And so I think there's a couple things. There's a lot of things, actually, but there's a couple things that God laid on my heart this week as I was uh, studying through heaven. And this is where I want us to go this morning. The number one thing is this. You have to take off your mask. Throughout the Old Testament, especially the Old Testament, but also in the New Testament, when you see anything about the presence of God... What is, the, what is one of the first things that happen? Everybody falls on their face. They're scared to death. But it's not because God's presence incites fear. It's because our standing before God's presence incites fear. And it's because we all know that we've got something to hide. And when you finally stand face to face with the presence of God, there's nowhere to hide. And the only response that we can have is to fear. And that's why in the Old Testament, anytime God's presence comes up, anytime God's presence manifests itself in a physical way, people are freaked out. Because they're wearing their mask and they know it. Most of us, if we're honest, we put on a really happy face and we pretend to get through life and we make, we make the preacher and the people greeting us at the door and the people in our groups and the friends that we keep around us, we make them think that life is okay. You cannot stand in the presence of God with a mask on. Because it's going to, the, the fear is going to incite so much. Here's what he's trying to do though. He wants you not to fear so that you bow and you hide, but so that you'll rip the stinking thing off. Because he says the only way you can face me is to face me. So if you want a glimpse of what heaven is, it's taking the mask off, allowing yourself to stand in the presence of God wholeheartedly, completely visible and vulnerable before Him. You know that the word presence in the Old Testament, the literal translation in English from the Hebrew word used for presence is face. So when it says presence in the Old Testament, it's face. It's a face-to-face -face relational encounter. That there's nothing more personal than that. That God knows me intimately and knows that I'm wearing this mask and He'll incite fear in me so much that I'll bow until I take it off. So that I can stand in His presence. So that I can walk into His presence humbly but confidently. Because the only thing that we do that for is to fool other people and we ultimately fool ourselves thinking that we're okay. But all we're really doing is hiding behind a mask from God. God says, just take it off. I'm reminded of Isaiah chapter 6. I put this one in our notes. Isaiah chapter 6, when God's presence envelops in that place, and it's, it's immediate. Like Isaiah has no reason. I, in my opinion, Isaiah doesn't wear a mask. But the first thing Isaiah says, Woe to me, for I am lost. I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people who, with, who have unclean lips. 
For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. It's going to incite that fear, but it's always, always, always God trying to get us to a place where we can actually look at Him face to face. And the only way that we can do that is to get real about our situations, about who we are, take the mask off. We've got to take our mask off. If we can do that, we can do the second thing. We can receive His acceptance. You, you do understand that the entire narrative of the Bible is that God doesn't reject people People reject God. We think heaven and hell because we think destination purposes. And when we think destination purposes, we immediately think that God sends people to hell and sends people to heaven. And we use passages like separating wheat from tares and, and all this, that God's doing all the separating. Well, in a, there's going to come a point where He's going to, but it's not because... It's not because he grew the wheat and he grew the tares. It's because you chose to be one or the other. And he's just weeding it out. Once we take the mask off, we make the decision to be bare before him, we ultimately are going to end up being bare before people because we've got stuff. And the more we try to keep that stuff, the less likely we are to receive any acceptance from him. It's easier to receive acceptance from people than it is from God and we get it backwards. Because the enemy's convinced us that we, we've got to hide that stuff. People won't understand. Well, of course, people won't understand. But God can't stand it. God doesn't want that in your life, not because He hates it, but because He loves you. And the only way to get rid of it is to receive His acceptance after we've taken off the mask. We stand face to face with Him. And, and the, the writer of Hebrews puts it like this, we have the confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus. Why? Because we've received His acceptance. It's a new and living way that He opened for us through the curtain. It's no longer... God doesn't have a mask. There's nothing separating us. There's no veil to keep us out of the holies of holies anymore. We have complete access if we receive complete access. He says that is through His flesh. And since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. After we take off the mask, it becomes much easier to realize how much God loves us. Because we have... God, I don't know. I, I'm going to get stuck on that number one because we have the tendency to make people think about us one way or another more than anything else. And then we convince ourselves that we're that. Well, I'm tough all the time. And then you've got to show people that you're tough all the time. Always got to be brash. Always got to be harsh. Look, I know I did that growing up. People still don't think I cry. I cry all the time. I just don't let anybody see it. I mean, I, I'm a big baby. <laughs> but we got to be who we really are in order to get past some of the stuff. If we, if we don't get past some of the stuff... His acceptance always feels like it's a rat race. It feels like we're constantly having to do something to keep His acceptance. It's because we keep wearing the mask. It's because we want a destination and not the presence. And when we want a destination, we think we can hide and continue to hide and continue to hide and we keep hiding and playing hide-and-go-seek. It gets old fast. 
and you keep hiding and then somebody keeps finding you and you keep having to go back and hide again and then you find a new place to hide and a new way to hide it, it just don't, it don't work and we wonder why we're so tired and exhausted and burn out and never f truly feel God's acceptance we have to remove our masks we have to receive his acceptance and the third thing is this the scriptures are clear we have to remain alert. We have to remain alert. If we're not careful about, about our situation from moment to moment to moment, we will not stay in the place that we need to be as it pertains to God's presence. We won't be able to continue to experience the goodness of God, the grace of God, and we all... Any of you ever, if you're honest, ever ever said this in your mind? You may have even told somebody this. I just don't feel God. I just don't feel God. I don't feel Him. I don't feel His presence. And and His His I, look. We I've said it. But here's here's the deal. If we'll continue to keep the mask off, we'll continue to see ourselves receiving His acceptance. Remain alert because all that is is the enemy trying to convince you that you're separated again. That's all it is. God's presence didn't move. The enemy's trying to get between us or we've moved for whatever reason. Because once God lays His hands upon you and you've seen His glory face to face, He doesn't leave you. He stays. But if we're not alert and we're not, we're not vigilant about things... We'll miss it. I love this passage in 1 Kings uh, chapter 19. Um, some things that happened in the life of Elijah and he had seen God do some really incredible things like bringing fire down from heaven and uh, just all kinds of all, like stuff you want to see. And, and then God speaks to him. He says, Go out, stand on the mountain before the Lord and behold the Lord passed by. It says, A great strong wind tore into the mountains, broke the rocks in pieces before the Lord, but the Lord was not in the wind. I like this. He says, After the wind, an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And then at the very end of this, it says, After the fire, it says, A still, small voice. God wasn't in the earthquake. His presence wasn't in the fire. His presence wasn't in the wind. It was in a still small voice. What does that have to do with anything? If you ain't paying attention, you won't hear it. If, if you're not remaining alert, you'll miss it. Because we, 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 we do. We look for heaven as a destination. And so all we want is signs and wonders. If God would just make this happen, I believe His presence is here. If this door would just open up, I'll believe that God's present. And, and, and I dare say Elijah kind of fell victim to that because he had actually physically seen God manifest his presence that way. And then in that moment, there's three instances where Elijah has seen God work through the wind, through fire, and through the, uh, the earthquake. And he, what did he think? Oh, well, it's God's presence. But it said, no, it was after that in a still, small voice. So not only do we have to take our mask off, not only do we have to receive the acceptance that we can only find in Christ, we have to remain 
alert because sometimes he's not going to scream at you. He's going to whisper. And if we're not alert, if we're not paying attention, if we're not vigilant, we'll miss it. We'll miss it. And we'll, then we'll start feeling that tension. Oh, I don't feel your presence. Or I don't think you're there. You don't care. And ultimately, what we're missing is that peace of heaven that we can have right here on earth. Because you can't have peace. And you can have joy. And you can have all of those things that manifest in God's presence. Now, uh, I, I want to close with this, this quote because it, it kind of puts it in perspective. Samuel Rutherford said, Oh my Lord Jesus Christ, if I could be in heaven without Thee, it would be a hell. And if I could be in hell and have thee still, it would be a heaven to me. For thou art all, thou art all the heaven that I want. That's got to be our response. Not a destination, but a relationship. Because even heaven is hell if somehow God's not there. Our lives are hell if God's not there. We prove it over and over again every single day. Thank you for joining us for this week's message from Radiance in Macomb, Mississippi. If you have made a decision to follow Jesus, would like to connect with a pastor, or would like to support the ministry of Radiance, you can easily do so on our website at RadianceMacomb.com. We hope you have a blessed week.